Yesterday's congressional hearing on UFOs revealed the threats the government is truly concerned about. And it ain't aliens. And today is April 20th, 420 as many know it. And there's lots of things that have happened on this day historically that aren't Hitler's birthday. And we're going to talk about some of them. This is the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. Happy 420 day to everybody. Roll them if you got them, I guess, if that's still how it works. Or maybe wait till the show's over. Don't know that I'm a good listen when you're high. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't tried it. Everyone knows that along with being 420 Marijuana Day, it's also Hitler's birthday. So in honor of that, I'm sure President Biden will be donating a billion-dollar weapons package to the Azov Battalion. Today is not only Hitler's birthday, though. It's also the birthday of Napoleon III, who, unlike his father, is not known for his war exploits, but is more known for overseeing the modernization of the French economy, for filling Paris with new boulevards and parks. So remember today more as Napoleon III's birthday, as opposed to Hitler's birthday. 420 also happens to be the date of the first known performance of Shakespeare's tragedy, Macbeth, which happened at the Globe Theater in London in the year 1611, a day that forever condemned high schoolers to having to read and discuss that play in their 10th grade literature class when what they really wanted to be doing was playing video games. More recently on this day, three years ago, in fact, on 420, three U.S. states, Georgia, Tennessee, and South Carolina, became the first to announce the end of some of the COVID-19 restrictions. Wow, that's how far we've come. There are historical moments about ending COVID restrictions. That's how long that nonsense lasted. And finally, on this date in 1971, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the use of busing to achieve racial desegregation. A dark moment in our history, one that to this day, Vice President Kamala Harris still pretends to have experienced. I have more of these historical on this day facts, more joyful ones, in fact, that I'm going to end the show with today to wash away the stain of Hitler's birth that it put on this day. So I'll save that for the end. I also realized that I had no idea why 420 is associated with smoking marijuana. So I looked it up and I found an explanation that you may or may not know and that may or may not be true. But I'm going to tell it to you anyway. This is from a local Fox News. It's not Fox News. This is Fox 9, a local news affiliate. And they say that many believe the 420 weed origin can be traced back to a group of teenagers in 1971 who attended San Rafael High School in San Francisco, where they would ritualistically meet up at the Lewis Pasture statue on campus each day at 420 and smoke marijuana with the number 420 being their code word for let's go smoke some some drugs. The five students called themselves the Waldos, a reference to their inability to blend into crowds due to their brightly colored red and white striped sweaters. Not really. They called themselves the Waldos because they hung out at a wall on campus all the time, which is totally a name that a bunch of stone people would come up with and think is hilarious in the moment. A fitting name, actually, to an underwhelming origin story that couldn't be more perfect for this day. Now, I don't typically make marijuana product recommendations because I don't know much about the quality of it, but I'm going to make an exception today. And I would like to recommend, that is if you partake in the consumption of edibles, legally, of course, I'd like to recommend that you try out a product that I think just last week announced that it is finally available everywhere in this country where marijuana is legal. And that product is Mike Tyson's ear-shaped marijuana edibles. I personally don't know why you would consume any other type of edible than that. I mean, imagine you've taken an edible, you're really high, and then all of a sudden you realize that you've been eating a Vander Holyfield's ear and it's giving you the munchies. A craving you'll no doubt satisfy by eating another of a Vander Holyfield's ear. Quality work from Mike Tyson there, as always. Okay, top story today. The congressional hearing on UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, formerly known as UFOs, was yesterday. And there 
There were some interesting things that we learned from it. The hearing was held by the Senate Armed Services for Emerging Threats and Capabilities Subcommittee. The only witness testifying and taking questions was the guy I talked about the other day on the show, Dr. Sean M. Kirkpatrick, the lifelong intel guy, and the head of the DOD's All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or Arrow. The office created at the end of last year to investigate these UAP sightings. Also, the guy who co-wrote that paper I told you all about claiming that these UAPs can actually be extraterrestrial probes sent down from an alien mothership to populate the Earth with their alien seed. A wild proposition that came up exactly zero times during this hearing. No one asked about it. No one was like, hey, dude, what about the alien mothership theory? And the reason no one asked about it is because no one in there believed or believes that these UAPs are actually aliens, not even the good doctor here who made the suggestion. They're all far more concerned with the possibility that these UAPs are advanced Russian and or Chinese technology, which is a threat to our national security, which is exactly what I thought the case was going to be. That's really the reason that they held this hearing and that they brought this guy in is the subcommittee wanted to get an update on the investigative work that Arrow's been doing, this newly formed office, and they also wanted to learn more about the threat to national security that these UAPs could pose. And the dude who heads up Arrow, Kirkpatrick, was more than happy to be there because he clearly wanted to get more funding for his office, and he also wanted to get more expansive authorities and powers to conduct his investigation without red tape and bureaucracy slowing him down. And the subcommittee was more than happy to offer more power and funding up to him. At one point, Kristen Cinema asked him if he would help them write exactly what authorities and powers his office needed so that she could put it into the next defense spending bill. So unlike the X-Files, where they stuck Fox Mulder in a tiny office in the basement and allocated very little resources and money to his investigation, Congress seems eager to give this guy and the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office a blank check and expansive investigative powers so nothing gets in his way. Oh, what Fox Mulder could have done with resources like that. So while overall the hearing was a little disappointing because Kirkpatrick doesn't give you any hope that something cool like first contact is coming, he also doesn't rule it out. Here he is explaining to the subcommittee the three hypothesis, hypotheses about what these UAPs could be from Arrow's perspective. Right. And so as Arrow is developing and implementing its science plan, it has to do so grounded in a solid foundation of scientific theory across the entire range of hypotheses that have been presented for what UAP are. That range spans adversary breakthrough technology on one hand, known objects and phenomena in the middle, all the way to the extreme theories of extraterrestrials. So aliens is one out of three possibilities, 33%, right? Not so much. I think he's maybe holding out that possibility for... Just you can't completely ever rule that out, I think, might be the thinking here, because I don't think anybody believes at all that that's what's going on here. And you know how they kept reporting these tic-tac-shaped crafts moving in ways that can't be explained by any physics known to us? Well, he puts a bit of a damper on that here in this next clip. I should also state clearly for the record that in our research, Arrow has found no credible evidence thus far of extraterrestrial activity, off-world technology, or objects that defy the known laws of physics. In the event sufficient scientific data were ever obtained that a UAP encountered can only be explained by extraterrestrial origin, we are committed to working with our interagency partners at NASA to appropriately inform U.S. government's leadership of its findings for those few cases that have leaked to the public previously and subsequently commented on by the U.S. government, I encourage those who hold alternative theories or views to submit your research to credible peer-reviewed scientific journals. Arrow is working very hard to do the same. That is how science works, not by blog or social media. Who still blogs? 
he makes clear in this hearing that when it comes to these UAP investigations, the ones that are still open, that they don't have enough data yet. And therefore, because they're sticking to the scientific method rigorously, that they're not going to draw any conclusions about things that he cannot defend with what he determines to be enough evidence to come to those conclusions and close the case. So I think that's why he's saying he hasn't seen enough evidence to conclude that something is off world or defies the law of physics, which is an interesting thing to say because what is enough evidence? How do you know when you have evidence at all, any evidence, let alone enough evidence, to conclude that something is something that no human on earth has ever before encountered? I, I don't know that you would know what the proper evidence is to make that conclusion, but I guess they have their their methods. He doesn't reveal them all here, but I'd be interested in, in knowing how they make those determinations. Also, the second part of that statement was interesting also. He, he let us know that if he does find this out-of-this-world alien technology, the stuff everybody wants to find, the cool stuff, he assures us of what he will do with that information. He will work with NASA to figure out how to appropriately inform U.S. leadership of its findings. Figure out how to appropriately inform that, that sounds like something a stovepiper would say right before they stovepipe you. I'm not going to tell you everything that we found. I'm going to tell you the appropriate level of information that I determine you are okay to know. And what he also did not say there was that he would tell the public that he would disclose first contact or alien technology, whatever it is, to the broader public. And I think that he left that out on purpose he would have said right there that they were going to make it public knowledge if that's what they intended to do. So they don't intend to do that, which means it's all void and null, in my opinion, because we can't trust them. They're going to keep it a secret. I mean, he's not going to tell the public about it if he's not even sure he's going to tell U.S. leadership about it, which is what it seems like here. Okay, so what they're really worried about, Senator Ernst from Iowa, she makes that clear right off the bat early on in this hearings. And this is where, where we get into the Russia, China concerns. We all knew it was going here. Here is Senator Ernst. The recent downing of the Chinese surveillance balloon and three other objects underscores the need for domain awareness. Adversaries like China and Russia are working to hold U.S. interests, including our homeland, at risk. That's why your testimony is so important. And I so look forward to a progress update on the establishment of your office. As members know, your office evolved from the Navy-led Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force to the All-Domain Anomalous Resolution Office known as Arrow. Dr. Kirkpatrick, your extensive background in science and technology, research and development, and space makes you well-suited to discuss these emerging challenges. My priority is that we understand the full range of threats posed by our adversaries in all domains. That is what the joint force needs to be prepared to fight and win in defense of our nation. This committee needs to know about Chinese or Russian advanced technology programs to exploit our vulnerabilities. And it needs to know whether your office, along with the IC, has detected potential Chinese or Russian capabilities to surveil or attack us. And that's what they're concerned about. That's why they're there. They're not looking for aliens. They're looking for advanced technology that Russia and China could attack us with. At least that's the narrative that is emerging from uh, these uh, UAP sighting storylines. And it's also, that storyline is converging with some other storylines, which I'll talk about after we get through these clips. So that was towards the beginning of the hearing. She asked that question three separate times, had a hard time getting an answer out of him, at least the answer she wanted. Here is her asking that question again about 20 minutes later, gets a little bit more of an answer from him this time. He completely uh, kind of dodged the question that time. Here's the second time around. In the course of your work, have you become aware of any Chinese or Russia technical advancements to surveil or attack U.S. interests? So that's a great question. Part of what we have to do as we go through these, um, especially the ones that show signatures of advanced technical capabilities, is determine if there is a foreign nexus. Mm -hmm. That's really hard if what we observe doesn't have a Chinese or Russian flag on the side of it. Now, I think it is um, 
prudent to say of the of the cases that are showing you know some sort of advanced technical signature of which we're talking single percentages of the entire population of cases we have um i am concerned about what that nexus is and i have indicators that some are related to foreign capabilities we have to investigate that with our ic partners and as we get evidence to support that that gets then handed off to the appropriate ic agency to investigate okay ic community is intel community which he is very familiar with has worked in the intel community for decades actually and she, the woman who asked the question, the senator, was clearly not happy with the level of, or lack of detail she got in that. So she follows up a little bit later with a little bit of a variation of the exact same question. She's basically like, come on, man. Is it from Russia, China, or, or what, dude? Give me some more details on this. And here's the third and final time that she asked. And he does, in fact, give a little bit of, more of a detailed response here. Is it possible that the Chinese or Russian advanced technologies could could be causing some of these anomalous behaviors. And and you said there seems to be um, some indicators. Uh, so just for us today, uh, could you describe potential threat that might exist out there if they are foreign sure. nexus? In order for, why does it say foreign nexus? Is, it's a, a foreign link. Is, is it connected to China and Russia? Are they behind it? I use these stupid words. To do this research appropriately, we have to uh, also be cognizant of what is the state of the art in development across the S and T community. What is S? I think he's. I don't know if he said S and D or S and T. I think he said S and D. I think he has something to do with. You know, I'm not sure what he means by that. I need to look that up. I, I, at first, I thought it was R&D, research and development, but that's not what he said. What are the DARPAs of the world doing? What are our, what's the horizon scanning of emerging technologies? Appropriate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause it right there. We know what the DARPAs of the world are doing. I've played the clip twice now on the show from DARPA TV of the researcher from Georgia Tech talking about the classified work what she could say about it, that they're doing to develop tools, weapons of cognitive electronic warfare. We know that's what they're doing. And we know that they use cognitive electronic warfare because she described it in the clip to do the very thing that is happening to these pilots who are seeing these, these uh, blips on these radars. Acting, uh, you, can make, you can make a blip on a radar that a pilot thinks is a plane, move in ways that defy all known laws of physics. That was clearly understood by the DARPA TV lady. So that's what the DARPAs of the world are doing. To this subcommittee, what is happening out there? And if somebody could accelerate that capability, how would that manifest itself and what would it look like? And do those signatures match what we're seeing? Mm -hmm. um, there are emerging capabilities out there that that in many instances Russia and China well China in particular are on par or ahead of us in some areas right so previously I used to be the defense department's intelligence officer for science and technical intelligence that was our job was to look for what does all that look like um, and then you know my last several years, of course, in, in Space Command doing space. The, the, the adversary is not waiting. They are advancing and they're advancing quickly. There's a funding request right there. They have all the resources of money they need. We have to do these hearings. We have to go through our democratic structure. It only slows it down. Give me the money, baby. If I were to put on some of my old hats, I would tell you they are less risk averse at technical advancement than we are. Mm. Right? They are just willing to try things and see if it works. Are there capabilities that could be employed against us in both an ISR and a weapons fashion? Absolutely. Do I have evidence that they're doing it in these cases? 
No, but I have concerning indicators. So notice there he will say he has concerning indicators that it's China and Russia, but he won't say any conclusion whatsoever related to the off-world technology stuff because they want it to – this is the whole narrative that, that they're doing here. China and Russia ahead of us and some of these capabilities, they are throwing caution into the wind and the development of it. Unlike, unlike us, they're not worried about it. Like they don't have democracy standing in their way. That's the, that's the um, benefit of authoritarianism, as they always say in these military things. That type of statement is in every one of these discussions, think tanks about this. Democracy just slows us down, makes us weak. A little bit of the sentiment there. He was doing it to get money. But what are these indicators that he speaks of? Like, why does he not tell us what they are? Uh, are they, would it reveal sources and methods to do so? What, at one point in this hearing, he talks about how they're going to set something up to where people can report what they see so they can help them determine what, give them the data they need to determine what they are, like everyday people. But they want to do it in a way where they don't get overwhelmed with all these photos that everybody takes all the time. So they only get the good stuff. So wouldn't it make sense to tell us what these indicators are so that we know what to look for? Uh, I mean, other than it being a Chinese flag on a blip on a radar or a Russian flag. The fact is that maybe this technology is from China. Maybe they are behind it. Maybe they're not. It could also be a, another branch uh, of our government that is compartmentalized from this branch. That's what he's talking about. If they don't know what all the other branches of government or organizations are doing, then they can't know if it's from China. So like, I wonder, if you don't know what everybody else is doing, then how can you know it's from China and not from somebody in our government trying to make it look like it's from China, trying to mimic it so that they can then blame it on China and Russia and continue to escalate which is what they've been trying to do for a while now. Either way, whether it's actually China and Russia behind it or whether it's not, China and Russia will be blamed for it because that is what serves the narrative that they are pushing along and they have been pushing along for a while, of this growing threat. And this has been the game plan all along. And multiple storylines are converging to something bigger, which we'll get to in a second. That's the most relevant stuff, but... There was a few other interesting things that we learned from it. Let me find my notes here. Okay, in this clip here, just a couple more, he lays out what the mission of Arrow is. And in the process, he reveals that pilots can, in fact, be manipulated in the exact way that the DARPA chick, who was talking about cognitive electronic warfare, was talking about. While a large number of cases in our holdings remain technically unresolved, this is primarily due to a lack of data associated with those cases. Without sufficient data, we are unable to reach defendable conclusions uh, that meet the high scientific standards we set for resolution. And I will not close a case that I cannot defend the conclusions of. I recognize that this answer is unsatisfying to those who in good faith assume that what they see with their eyes, with their cameras, and with their radars is incontrovertible evidence of extraordinary characteristics and performance. Yet time and again, with sufficient scientific quality data, it is fact that UAP often, but not always, resolve into readily explainable sources. Humans are subject to deception and illusions, sensors to unexpected responses and malfunctions, and in some cases, intentional interference. Getting to the handful of cases that pass this level of scrutiny is the mission of Arrow. Man, that guy's got some creepy up-looking eyes, doesn't he? Looking up at those uh, subcommittee members. So, sensors are subject to intentional manipulation. Cognitive electronic warfare is what that is. There's an article this week in Defense One about it's a mil that military website and it's titled China's gearing up for cognitive warfare the Rand Corporation published some stuff about China's use of cognitive electronic warfare in the past few weeks or so I'm seeing that pop up and and be connected to China more and more on from military publications and, and now we hear this here and we have the DARPA chick finally in these last two clips he, he shows a couple of examples of the UAP sightings that they're investigating. And I just thought maybe you guys would like to see it. He describes it for those who are listening. And one of the cases that he shows is not closed yet, remains open. And the other one is solved. Here's the first one. This is the unsolved UAP case that he uh, just wants to show them 
as an example of their work. So I'm going to walk you through two cases that we've uh, declassified recently. Um, this first one is an MQ-9 in the Middle East observing that blow-up, which is an apparent spherical object via EO sensors. Those are not IR. EO sensors are electro-optical sensors. If you want to go ahead and click that and play it. You'll see it uh, come through the top of the screen. There it goes. And then the camera will slew to follow it. You'll see it pop in and out of the field of view there. So what you see on screen for those listening is what looks like a, a metal ball or something. Orb. A metal orb flying at a just downward angle uh, through the screen. And then it moves around a little bit. I'll let him finish. This is essentially all of the data we have associated with this event from some years ago. It is going to be virtually impossible to fully identify that just based off of that video. Now, what we can do and what we are doing is keeping that as part of that group of 52% to see what are the similarities, what are the trends across all of these. 52% that are un resolved that it's still open and being investigated we see these in a particular distribution do they all behave the same or not as we get more data we will be able to go back and look at these in a fuller context okay again calling for more data the, he's he's making he seems kind of passive aggressive in the way he does it a little bit especially with his eye eyes very creepy kind of but these are all like, we just need more research. We need more money. We need more power. Just come on. We got to get that data. He's getting what he wants for sure. There's no doubt about that. I understand why he's showing this. You help them better understand the process. And it's, he's making a pitch here. But I see what was on that video there. And maybe 15 years ago, I see something like that. I go, oh, wow. Wow. Maybe it's uh, like a UFO, like alien UFO. But now when I see things like that, because drones are so prevalent, I mean, drones have been around a while, but they haven't been, you know, everywhere and just in the front of our minds. Like, like now, all I see is a drone. That's all I see. I mean, maybe it could be an actual alien. They could be a green alien hanging out the window of one of those things, flipping me the bird or mooning me. And I'd be like, there's a drone with some dude dressed like a green being hanging out of it for some reason. That's just all I see whenever I see that now. It's, just, it's a bummer. I mean, I, I, I like thinking about and investigating UFOs, extraterrestrials, and the possibility like that. But it's been soured a little bit because of the technology and just these people. These people sour it for you, man. Take all the fun out of it. Okay, here's the last clip. This is the example of the case that they have solved. And it's a clip that will likely piss off Many people because of, well, chemtrails. This particular uh, event, South Asia MQ-9, uh, looking at another MQ-9, and what's highlighted there in that red circle is an object that flies through the screen. Unlike the previous one, this one actually shows some really interesting things that everyone thought was truly anomalous to start with. First of all, it's a high-speed object that's flying in the field of regard of two MQ-9s. Second, it appears to have this uh, trail behind it, all right, which at first blush, you would think that looks like a propulsion trail. It looks like a little stream, like a chemtrail might look like. In reality, uh, if you want to play the first slide, we'll show you what that looks like in real time, or first video. So we're looking at that. There it goes. Why don't you play it again and then pause it halfway through? Right there. All right. And you see right, on you, screen. You might be able to see that. Tra there, there was uh, some sort of craft flying into the, into the screen. But I don't know if you can see it on this screen. But you can, when you watch the thing on YouTube, you can see a little stream behind it. And here's the rest of his explanation. Trail there behind it. Take that back That's a little bit here. And, and then pause it halfway through. Right there. 
All right, if you might be able to see that trail there behind it. That's actually not a real trail. That is a sensor artifact. Um, uh, each one of those little blobs is actually a representation of the object as it's moving through. And later in the video, as the as the uh, camera yeah, slews, that trail actually follows the direction of the camera, not the direction of the object. We pulled these apart frame by frame. We were able to demonstrate that that is essentially a readout uh, overlap of the image. It's a, it's a shadow image, right? It's not real. Further, if you later um, follow this all the way to end, it starts to resolve itself into that blob that's in that picture in the top left, right? And if you squint, it looks like an aircraft because it actually turns out to be an aircraft. Go ahead and put that on. So you'll see the tail sort of pop out there. And so what you're looking at is, this is in the infrared, this is the heat signature off of the engines of a commuter aircraft that happened to be flying in the vicinity of where those two MQ-9s were at. Why am I showing you this? So the first one that I showed you, we don't have resolved yet, right? That is an unresolved case we are still studying. This one, we can resolve. But this is the kind of data that we have to work with and the type of analysis that we have to do, which can be quite extensive when you have to pull these apart frame by frame. Further, we're now matching all of this with the models of all of those imaging sensors so that I can say, I can recreate this. I can actually show how the sensor is going to respond. All of these sensors don't necessarily respond the way you think they do especially out in the world and in the field. Okay, the MQ-9 Reaper is an unmanned aerial vehicle, a UAV, capable of remotely controlled or autonomous flight. I believe that's what he is saying that is. It says on the slide, phenomenon observed in other forward-looking uh, infrared. Also, see it was on a radar, obviously. Full motion video. The trail appears to be uh, cavita cavitation similar to those caused by propulsion. Visible trail is a camera software artifact. Video compression algorithms overlay captured image uh, on previous frame and resolve differences in the gray infrared uh, gradient. And uh, analysis of morphology and traffic control data suggests the object is commercial aircraft transitioning known flight paths. Take what you will from that clip. Uh, he said that the, the sensors don't necessarily respond the way you think they do. How does he know they're not being manipulated? I mean, he admitted early in the hearing that they can be manipulated, these sensors, these radars. We heard the cognitive electronic warfare DARPA TV chick literally explain how to do, like, like she could, with the cognitive warfare, electronic warfare weapons she was describing on DARPA TV, she could do exactly what has happened to these pilots. She could cause them to see something, as I mentioned earlier, and then think that it moves in crazy ways and think it might be an alien. She could do that. And he knows that. He seems to know that anyway. So I don't know how you can trust even what he's saying there. And the fact is, we have to remember, this guy's been in the intel community his entire career. His, does that mean everything he's saying, that he's lying? No, it doesn't. It just means that we, we can't really trust him. Because... His chosen career, the fundamental skill used to, to be successful in that career is deception. So I take what he says with a grain of salt, actually. I mean, I think he's probably telling the truth about a lot of it, but he, we know he's not going to tell us. Like, if they discovered aliens and, and alien technology, we know that they would not tell us that because by omitting saying that he's going to tell the public, I already talked about this, very obvious that they wouldn't. Okay, here's what I think is going on here, as this is a piece of a, a bigger puzzle. There seems to be a number of narrative pieces that are coming together on a global scale. Storylines. Like, we had the confirmation recently that we do have boots on the ground in Ukraine through those, quote, leaked documents. I mean, I think we assumed that, but getting that confirmation changes things a little bit. I mean... It's obviously a proxy war. You listen to these think tanks and these high-ranking officials talking about this war in Ukraine and saying we and us all the time. I mean, you don't say that if you're not involved 
in a fight. And I know that's obvious, but we also have the budding alliance between Russia and China that even one of these high ranking military officials earlier this week during a panel discussion admitted that their partnership is growing more and more concerning to U.S. and Western interest. We had the spy balloon saga with China. We have these UAPs, which are obviously going to eventually be blamed on whether it's true or not on Russia and China, mostly China, probably. And we're just seeing these World War III storylines for this overarching narrative intertwine. And I'm not trying to be alarmist here. I'm just pointing out the separate storylines coming together like they do in any story, in any movie, film. You see, you see them separately initially, and then they start to cross over, and they all end up serving one grand narrative that is being told with the story. There's also... The AI arms race, and I'm not talking about the Google Bard versus Microsoft arms race. They're starting to talk about more and more China versus the U.S. AI arms race. That's becoming the story more. And this stuff is all over the news. No matter the topic, no matter what the topic is, the story eventually is talked about. It's framed through this lens of us versus Russia and China of the West versus Russia and China. Even the cultural stuff that's in the news eventually gets to the subject of the historical references to the Cultural Revolution or how China is making their kids tough while dumbing our kids down through TikTok. They talk about Trump through the World War III us versus Russia and China lens. They've been talking about Trump supporters and Trump just like they talk about Putin for years now. I mean, that's the most obvious example there. This is a narrative story that the establishment is very intentionally telling, not just to the public of the U.S., but to the public of of the entire West, of the allies in the next great war. And I know I've said this before. This is the Great Reset playing out. I remember when I first heard that term, I think it was back in 2020, I started reading Klaus's books and watching the panel discussion, think tank discussions, playing them on here. All of the stuff happening now, we were talking back then about how that's what they want to happen is exactly these things that they're happening right now. I I dubbed the Ukraine-Russia war when it first happened the first war of the Great Reset. Not the last one, but but the first one. And with that said, I I don't want to be alarmist or anything. I I don't believe there's going to be any World War I or World War II style fighting going on in the U.S. I could be wrong. I I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't believe that... uh, the world is going to burst out into full-fledged kinetic war anytime soon. These people play the long game. Bernays writes a lot about Edward Bernays, the, the, the propagandist who lived to be like a thousand years old, wrote a lot about how they do the big picture, the long game, 5, 10, 50-year planning with some of this strategy. So we don't really have to worry about Red Dawn coming to our footstep, our, our doorstep anytime soon. But there's definitely a coordinated effort by the elites to transform the world on a fundamental level, to reset the world. And that's what all this stuff is a part of. So I guess the question is, can it be stopped? You know, can World War III, at least in our lifetime, be prevented? And I think the answer to that question is yes. Yes, it can. Just as their push for the war becomes more and more obvious, the voices who oppose what's going on are growing in number and becoming louder and louder. And not just here in America, but around the world. We saw the recent protest against BlackRock. It wasn't France, maybe. They they weren't having it over there. And and I want to point back to the clip that I've played a lot of from uh, the, not the most recent Davos, the one before it, but also they talked about it during this one, where they talked about how all these elites did, how a survey showed how the elites of the world are getting along and cooperating more and more than ever before. But at the same time, the publics of the world, the people who they rule over or try to anyway, have grown to collectively distrust them completely. Nobody trusts them. Nobody likes them. And they recognize that. That's why they're trying to do all these tricks to win back our trust, because they know that if they cannot win back our trust, then they cannot succeed in this great reset. And that is where the victory lies for the people. That's how we win. People need to realize 
that we have the power. They, they try and make themselves seem bigger and scarier. That's the art of war 101. Appear bigger and scarier than you actually are to demoralize the people so that they do not even stand up to fight because they know that they will lose if collectively we realize what they are doing with their divide and rule strategies. There's far more of us than there are of them and that terrifies them. We dwarf them in number and this is why they must continue to propagandize us. They have to get the public to support their plans and turn against each other. Otherwise, they will fail. If they succeed, then they have succeeded because their propaganda has succeeded. And that's the great thing about it, in my opinion. We, we don't have to defeat them kinetically with guns and, and weapons. Like, we only have to defeat their propaganda or, or resist their propaganda, maybe a, a, a better way to put it. And the way that we do this, we do this with the one thing that might in fact be under assault right now more than anything else, and that is ask questions, the freedom to ask questions. We, we must persist in continuing to do that despite the fear tactics they use to prevent people from doing so, to get people to take those silent thoughts and those skeptical thoughts that, that makes them go, wait a minute, what's really going on? That gets people to keep those in their head. As long as people say those out loud and realize what's happening, they cannot win. We defeat them with questions, with skepticism, with scrutiny. We must not give in to their emotional and tribal divide and rule appeals. And we must do that thing that they desperately don't want us to do. Think, question, challenge. The way to avoid a full-scale World War III in our lifetime is for the people of this country and the West and the world in general to start being less like bipolar or emo teenagers and start being more like Socrates. Y'all are already like that, but we need more people to embrace that mentality. And quite honestly, and I'm not someone who preaches a lot of religion uh, on the show. In fact, I don't typically do that at all. And I'm not even expressing this from a religious point of view here. I say this right now, not because of religion, but because of the kindness with which he treated people. We need a little more Socrates and we need a little more Jesus. People need to embrace the mentality of those two men and they cannot defeat us. It, it won't happen. The reason that we're having problems right now is because people aren't doing that. They're just getting sucked in to, to how good it feels to hate the other side. That, that's how they win. Yeah, that's the solution. In the face of this great reset World War III threat, the path to victory for us, the public of the world, is to model ourselves less off of what we see on TikTok and more off of Socrates and Jesus. Kill them with questions and kindness and compassion. Well, we have to show compassion to each other, the people who they try and turn us against. And I would say we show compassion to them as well, as long as everybody is in there, you know, not giving in to their stuff. They'd be helpless. They would suffer more by not having power over everyone than they would through anything the public could do to them, in my opinion. And get storable food. Okay. I'm a little tired, so I know I'm rambling a little bit, but. Thank you for listening anyway. Next story before we get out of here, sticking with the UFO theme of the day, Elon Musk also addressed the question of aliens in his interview with Tucker the other day. And Elon has said many times that, not just in this interview, that if anyone would know aliens would exist, it would be him because he, you know, he's such a space guy and he sends stuff up there. He's got his ships. That's an assertion that I wholeheartedly disagree with. I don't know. I don't think we'd know what aliens looked like if they were standing in front of us. We have an idea of what we think they would look like based on movies and based on our, an image of ourselves, but a little greener. We have no idea what they would look like. The reason I'm playing this clip isn't because of that part of this answer. It's because of how he jokingly reveals to us and Tucker, I'm sure Tucker knew anyway, one of the reasons why governments conduct false flags. And I've seen no evidence of aliens. So I would, I would immediately tweet, you know, tweet it out. This is let's say it. And I'd be like, that'd be like, well, all time, probably the top tweet of all time. <laughs> that one, guys. It's <laughs> <laughs> a jackpot. I have to say, at least he's not saying I would get with NASA and then we would figure out 
the best way or what to tell to authorities while leaving. At least he's like, yeah, I'll tell you on Twitter. I don't know that he actually would, but. <laughs> some eight billion likes, you know. Um, <laughs> ne- next level jackpot if you find the aliens. <laughs> like I don't think they're keeping this under, you know. And it was like some um, uh, general, I think, in the sixties, who, who where they said like, show us the aliens, like Area Fifty One, etc. And he said like, listen, we are constantly trying to get the defense budget to uh, expand and. Uh, you know what would really get uh, no arguments for anyone? Uh, if we pull out an alien <laughs> and said, we need money to protect ourselves from these guys. Was he holding the, the alien's head? So for those listening, when he said, pull out the alien, he raised his hand up like somebody in a movie would, like a Viking who just cut off somebody's head and took it to somebody to throw it on the table. So he's imagining holding a severed alien head right here, I believe, in this clip. <laughs> what a goofy guy. Okay, he continues to describe the reason for false flags. <laughs> no, how much money do you want? You got it. <laughs> they look dangerous. <laughs> so, the fastest it's way true. to get a defense budget increase would be to pull out an alien, you know. We were like, yeah. I mean, that could be the invasion fleet. It could be arriving any minute. Who knows? It's funny because it's true. Because that is, that's, that's not the only reason. But that's th- hearing that, I'm starting to think, well, maybe this... Arrow group, this Kilpatrick guy and his gang, maybe they actually released the Chinese spy balloon so that the fear of these UAPs would be more prominent in Congress's and in in the government's hands so that he could get this funding in the defense budget that he was offered to write part of so that he could get everything he needed. Maybe they're behind it. All right, to close out the show today, as promised, I'm going to tell you some things that have happened on 420, this day in history, that aren't stuff like Hitler's birthday or the Columbine shooting or any of the other awful things people tend to focus on. Because you know what? Awful things have happened on just about every day in history historically, as have good things have happened just about every day in history historically. So in the spirit of not fixating of only on the bad stuff, which is easier to do with our survive, our survival instincts. Here's some of the good things, at least in my opinion. On this day, 420 in 1853, Harriet Tubman started the Underground Railroad, which I'm sure at some point Kamala Harris has claimed to have been a part of. Fast forward a bit to this day in 1986. This is a personal favorite of mine. The greatest of all time, Michael Jordan of the Chicago Bulls, set an NBA playoff record by scoring 63 points in a playoff game. A game which they actually lost. It was to the Celtics. I think they lost 115-111. to 111, But still, a historic performance by the best ever play of the game. Sticking with a sports theme, because you know I like sports, although I don't really like this sport. On this day, 420 in 2008, the smoking hot Danica Patrick won the Japan Indy 300. I, I don't know if that's the first female to do that. I don't know. But either way, this is a victory for hotties all around the world. And finally... And I'm going to let this entire video play out to close out the show. Listen, if you want. On April 20th, 420, 1992, an unlikely pair of musicians, Elton John and Axl Rose, along with a few others you might recognize, teamed up to put on the Freddie Mercury tribute concert. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you for listening. Here is their version of Bohemian Rhapsody from that day on this day years and years ago. Just kill a man Put a gun against his head Pull my trigger now is dead Mama Life had just begun